Music, friends, fun, and fandom. Join Tom and Steve as we hang out in the digital blunderground. Stop what you're doing. We won't ruin. Get ready to relax and join us in the digital blunderground. Hello, this is Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. How are you doing? Oh, man, we are here on the Digital Blunderground, and today we're sitting and relaxing. So we're sitting and relaxing. We just got done about, what, three-hour conversation, I guess we just had? Yeah, it was good prep. It was. It was very good prep. So <laughs> we uh, sat down and had a good time, and uh, so that's pretty good. We're sitting around and kicking things back and forth, and that's what we like to do on the Digital Blunderground. We like to sit back and... We have music, friends, fun, and fandom, and sometimes we have interesting things that kind of come across our uh, our purview. I think this this goes in the fandom category because it was associated with wrestling. Yeah, I think so, so. So we can put it there. I think. I think so. I think so. Yeah, probably. So we gotta. Yeah, we really do. We gotta play. We, and I think so. It's the wrestling angle. So we gotta play uh, angle. See, I just dropped that term. So <laughs> we gotta. Uh, we gotta play. Uh, we gotta play the, uh, the the wrestling angle here. So the first thing that you want to do is go to the description. Okay, there's three videos, and uh, my wingman Steve is gonna put those in the description of the podcast, where we're gonna have three links, and these are links that you want to go check out. Okay. Because because what we're not going to do today is we're not going to go through and cut it up and then play all the different uh, videos there for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to do yourself a favor, okay, especially and, and if especially if you're a professional wrestling fan, okay? So if you're a professional wrestling fan, even if you're not currently, you were in the past, you want to check it out. It's well worth your time. So you want to go and check out those three videos. Once you've seen those three videos, you can come back, and then we're going to have a conversation about this. Uh, and we're going to kick it around because there's some great stuff here that we want to talk about. Uh, this has a lot to do with, uh, with culture, with, um, with living in the world, and the way that things are. And so we really want to speak to some current day issues here. So we're going to let you go. Check out those videos. It should take you about 30 or 40 minutes. And then when you're ready, you can come back and check it out. So Eric Weinstein is probably, I don't know, he, he might be the smartest guy around. I don't know. I mean, it's either him or Aaron Wren or I'm not sure. Maybe. You'd have to ask the guys in Georgetown, the coffee shops. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It could be. <laughs> uh, so it's possibly. So I don't really know. But um, Eric Weinstein is probably up there. He's probably like in the top five smartest guys ever. And so uh, he's probably uh, he's a real smart guy. And so uh, I've really admired it from afar. And I learned a lot. I, I thought that I could kind of wing out these videos and then um, I could uh, – and I found out that I needed to do a lot more research, and I learned a lot. Uh, so it was pretty great. Yeah, he uh, made his own acronyms. Yeah, I know he does. He, he has a lot of his own acronyms. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, some of the acronyms that we are going to be uh, starting here with are acronyms like WWE and WCW and WWF and AEW and things like that, because that's the world of professional wrestling. Miss the WWF. Yeah, the old WWF is so much better than. Well, you know, it's kind of like a uh, it's kind of like a silo on YouTube. If you uh, you go and it's if you've never done it, it's pretty cool because it's a bunch of middle-aged dads who have all gone back to their old VHS tapes and they've <laughs> all like sliced up all these interviews of like the Iron Sheik and King Kong Bundy and all these awesome <laughs> you know, things and you know like the Ultimate Warrior and good so, on like, them for still having a VHS yeah VHS, no doubt VH, they do wow VHS player that works no no it is and it's a great way to relive your childhood too if you ever need to like uh, if you ever want um, if you're a middle aged person and you want to do that you can go on YouTube and you can you can go back to like the year 1987 and then you can like uh, you know you can relive uh, 
all your childhood with Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby DeBrain Heenan and all these people. It's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> and so, and then in the comments, you can read the comments, and it's all these middle-aged dads, and they're all like, oh, man. Like, you'll be watching, like, a, it'd be great. You'd be watching, like, a match, like, King Kong Bundy, like, is destroying some job or somewhere, you know? And then, like, uh, you know, and some guy in the comment will be like, yeah, I remember watching this when it aired. It was, like, the greatest moment of my life, you know? <laughs> a lot like being an adult. It was, like, you know, back before you knew it was fake. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, though, everyone has that sweet spot, you know, like when you're that, because I watched it as a kid and then when you're just a kid, but then you get that sweet spot, right, where you're you're able to watch it because you're older, so you're seeing it through the eyes of an adult, and yet at the same time, you still have, like, there's, there's still a part of you. There. Yeah, there's, like, yeah. still that euphoria that you kind of kid that's still, it's still real to you, and so you're kind of able to see it through adult eyes, but still kind of, like, you know, maintain that illusion. Yeah, but you can feel it slipping away. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, like, uh, no. No, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. You know, no, I know. Because there's always that one moment, you know, like when, you know, they set somebody on fire, you know, or, or like, uh, you know, or, or like someone gets buried alive or something yeah. like that. And then you're like, okay, all right, that's enough. Right? You went you know? too far. Right. You I know, can't I buy think, it anymore. That's right. You're kind of like, all right, well, I think it's time for me to leave now. And, you know, there, maybe- there was one thing, though, in uh, that they did recently. And this this wasn't while I was watching it. This was just a, a clip. And it's actually it's it's in the video. Yeah, in the video. Where yeah. Where CM Punk. Yeah, the work mic shoot. Tur- yeah, yeah. He got his mic turned off. Oh yeah, no, the work shoot. Yeah, no, the work shoot's been going on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, no, they're wild. The work shoots are are um no like the um the work shoot's been going on for a while. Uh, and uh, some of the greatest work shoots were really back even in the uh, even in the nineties. I don't can't recall. I think probably in terms of a pure. Uh, or of course, you want to go back to the video. We're using these wrestling terms, right? So we have um, the wrestling term of a a shoot and a work shoot, right? So we have the kayfabe is the uh, a kayfabe is when everyone on the inside knows it's fake, but the people on the outside think it's real. Mm. And then you have the shoot, and the shoot is where the wrestlers are no longer fake. They're now things are real. So things are real for the wrestlers, and things are real as well for the people who are outside. It's all real. And then you have the work shoot where things get get muddled, right? And this yeah. was fascinating to hear Weinstein talk. Remember he talked about the four levels, right? Mm-hmm. That the human brain can't the human brain can't it can't distinguish the truth from a lie when there are four levels of lies that yeah. you have to work through to get to the truth. Yeah. Right? Like when you're working through those various levels, it's not possible anymore. It's too confusing. No. Right? And, and the best you can do is arrive at a conspiracy theory where you're 99.9% sure, but you can't prove it. So you just proclaim it. You got it. That's exactly <laughs> it. Right? And so you just proclaim it because it provides your brain with the certainty that it needs. That's right. Because otherwise, it's too much. Like you're giving your brain too many falsehoods and they can't make sense of it any longer. And this is what wrestling does in what they call, what they term a worked shoot, right? And so CM Punk is probably the the the, the most culturally relevant example. I remember back in the 90s, right? Like back in the, when uh, when Flair's son got involved, mm-hmm. right? You know, and then, and that was well, like with the Dennis Rodman stuff as well. Yeah. Like, right, Rodman was big and Eric Bischoff, uh, uh, Bischoff had Rodman come in. Yep. And uh, and that would be that'd be great, man. We gotta get Bischoff come in uh, on the show or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he's clamoring to get her. I well can, no, but I'm he sure. does have his own podcast and he seems like a pretty <laughs> sweet guy. He seems like a pretty cool guy. Uh and he he likes to talk about things that are outside of wrestling. So I mean uh, wrestling and culture, that'd be kinda neat. So it'd be sweet, Eric, if you're listening, we'd be we'd love to have you on. It'd be great. The um <laughs> boy, 
that'd be something. I'm not paying the price per hour on that one. No, I tell you what. So, uh, so Bischoff, he had. Uh, so anyhow, he brought in uh, uh, Robin, and Robin was there, and then, um, and they had him with Hogan and, and people, and uh, then, uh, anyhow, uh, Ric Flair had his his son come in because he wanted his son to be involved with the with the wrestling angles, yeah. and uh, and he had enough clout that he could have him come in. However, um, um. You know, Bischoff wanted him to come in and wanted to give him a uh, wanted to give him a push, but the push he wanted to give Flair's son was against Flair himself. He wanted him to backstab Flair, and that is pretty traditional in terms of of a wrestling storyline where uh, an individual can get a push. Yeah. However, it was not a it was not a, a work, uh, which is a, which which is a fave, which is kayfabe. It wasn't kayfabe. It wasn't a work. It was actually a shoot in the sense that Bischoff and Flair hated each other's guts. Mm. And in real life, they despised each other. And so uh, Flair was trying to hurt Bischoff and get him thrown out the company. And Bischoff would do anything to get at Flair. And then he wanted he wanted to really get to backstab Flair. And so, you know, Flair was like, well, we're going to bring my son in and he's going to be a wrestler. And that was, and then that was a, you know, that was a work. But then, you know, Bischoff is like, yeah, we're going to give him a push by making you look like a total idiot. Yeah. You know? yep. Which, again, was a work, but it was also a shoot. Because yep. Bischoff didn't like Flair. Yeah, they call that getting getting him over. Yeah, right, getting him over. So they were going to yep. get Rick's Flair's kid over by having him, you know. And there's a great uh, chapter in Flair's book where uh, Flair talks about this. Because Flair has a, he has an autobiography, mm-hmm. and uh, if you've ever read it, I don't know if you have or not, but the um the uh but in Flair's autobiography is a great chapter in this where they they have a uh, you know Bischoff sets up this uh, uh sets up this um. This work uh, sets up this uh, this uh, work to get him over, and so what it is is Flair's kid is gonna backstab Flair, and then these guys are gonna take Flair out, and they take him out into the desert in the woods, and so they beat him up, and then what they do is they throw him down into his dirt pile in the middle of the desert, and then they they throw dirt on him, right? And so the whole thing is that Flair's kid is gonna be shoving dirt on his dad, and so Bischoff had this done, and Bischoff was doing this because he was trying to hurt Ric Flair. He wanted Ric Flair to know how much he despised him. And so they have this whole thing where, and I remember watching this on TV when it happened and all this stuff. So they have this thing where, you know, uh, they, they take him out and they throw dirt on Ric Flair and they do and then they leave. Well, Flair talks about how, how did he overcome this? Like, what did he do? And he says, well, after we got done filming, you know, he talks about how he and his son went back to the hotel room. They stayed in the same hotel room. They sat in the hotel room and they ordered, they ordered takeout food and they sat down and they had a meal together. You know, and like how, what? like, yeah, and like how, like, they sat down and like how Flair was just, it was so difficult for Flair to reconcile, like, all these things that had happened. And at the end of the day, he was just trying to connect with this authentic, like, because everything about, everything about the filming was so confused and everything was so confusing, you know, like, all these wrestlers who adored Ric Flair and they admired him were, like, screaming at him, like, how they hated him. And then how his son, who loved him, and Flair was trying to get his son into the business, and yet the son was trying to bury his dad, you know? And there was so much confusion that Flair was just trying to have this authentic experience, right? He was trying to have this authentic experience with his son over a meal and how that simple sense of authenticity was so meaningful for him 
after all this, you know, blurring of kayfabe and and and, and, and reality. <laughs> and, and so, anyhow, like th- this is a classic example of a work shoot, right? So, yeah. you know, we're watching. So, and and even I remember watching it. Like when you're watching it, you're like, we're watching something real because Bischoff hates Flair, uh-huh. and yet we're watching something fake because these wrestlers don't hate Flair, and Flair's kid doesn't hate Flair, and yet we're watching something real because Flair's kid is literally throwing dirt on his dad's beat-up body. It's the exact same thing that happened with the Montreal Screwjob. Exactly, except the Montreal Screwjob was an actual shoot. Hart didn't know. No, Hart didn't know. No, that's right, he didn't know. He was mad. Yeah, that's exactly all he was. Have you seen Wrestling with Shadows? I believe... I can't remember the name of the, the documentary I watched, but I think that might be where I got most of my info on that because I was like... What what was this? Like, yeah, no, this that was, was... When I was watching wrestling, but mm-hmm. like too, I wasn't in that sweet spot. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah. know, that's right. That's right. I know exactly. My sweet that. spot was like Vince McMahon getting a bedpan over the head from Stone Cold. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Right. There you go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. There you go. There yeah. you go. Right. Right. But no, that's this right. like I actually had to read back, and I'm like, whoa, that happened. Like, like I remember the match, but yeah, you know, I I, I didn't I didn't understand the personal wor- inner workings of that. Yeah. Where, like, Vince McMahon literally told uh, Shawn Michaels to go and put Bret Hart in a sharpshooter and then told the referee, hey, say he tapped out. Say, well, say that yeah. Bret Hart tapped well, out before no, I, he even did. Yeah, Michaels claims, and I think he's I think he's being honest. I mean, so according to Michaels, he didn't know. The, 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 the script was that he was supposed to put Bret in the, sharp, in the sharpshooter and then Bret was supposed to come out of the sharpshooter. You can actually see it if you look at the video. Bret's crawling his way to the ropes. He was supposed to crawl his way to the ropes and grab the bottom rope. And then the, um, and then the ref was supposed to break the sharpshooter. And then once the sharpshooter was broken... Then, because the, the the whole idea, the whole plan was that Hart was going to keep the gold, and then right. he, he was going to give it up the next day on Nitro, uh, on uh, excuse me, on uh, on Raw. On Raw, yeah, he was told he, that. Yeah, he was told that, but that that was a lie. And so, um, but then he was told, "You're going to crawl the ropes, you're going to grab the rope, and then the refs uh, Hebner is going to break it up." Yeah, Earl Hebner. Yeah, yeah Earl Hebner's going to break it up, mm-hmm. and then you're going to go to the finish. So then the fin- you'll go to the finish. You'll keep you'll keep the belt, and then the next night. We'll do it all. But Hart doesn't buy that Michaels didn't know. No, no, he doesn't. No, 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 not at all. He doesn't believe him as far as he can throw him. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah, no, he doesn't believe and, him at all. And who knows? What is this? Is this the fourth level of... <laughs> like, yeah, well, no, knows, exactly. Man? No, but this is where this is where a lot of the work shoot really began to, 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 to kind of come in. Because effectively, you ever heard Hepner's story, too? Have you ever heard Hepner talk about it? Oh no, I didn't. Oh man, you got to hear that. I didn't that. hear if his. You haven't tape. heard that. If you haven't heard that, you've got to hear that. He had to have got the instruction in his earpiece. No, no. Or was well, it? Was it? Oh no, it was prior, wasn't it? What's that? I think it was prior to the match when he got the instruction from McMahon to y- do that. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. And McMahon told him he was going to give him the signal, and then and, and and he didn't really know. And then he um, it's wild, man. Hepner to talk about it because because Hepner left because he left. Because, like, um, and Hepner tells a story. Now he'll tell the story. It's wild. He had a guy, I forget who it was. He had a guy on backstage, and he, he didn't dare tell him. Because he's like, he's like, if I tell this guy, like, it's going to go bad. And, like, all, all hell's going to break loose. So he, he told, like, he, he told the guy, he said, he had a friend of his. He owed him a favor. And he went to him, and he's like, listen. He's like, you listen to me. He's like, look me in the eye. And he made him swear on his children. He's like, he go, You're, you need to get a car. I want you to get the car. You get it gassed up. Get me out of here. Yeah, dude. He told me you you gas this car up. You bring it 
to this particular exit, and it says, you get the car right there, and I need you to stand with the car, and he made him swear on his children. He's like, I made him swear on his children. I'll swear on my children. I'll be there in that car, and I'll be ready to go. And he's like, what is wrong? He's like, oh, what are we doing, a getaway? And he's like, don't talk. Shut up. Get the car. Swear on your children. And then Hefner's like, he tells the story. He's like, after it happened, he's like, you know, when Brett, he's like, when Brett started to have the realization of, like, what had just happened, Hefner's like, he's like, I got it. He's like, I went back there. He's like, I didn't talk to anybody. I went straight back. Went straight through the locker room. He's like, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't say anything to anybody. He's like, he's like, I got in that car. I slammed the door. And I looked and I said, drive. And he said, and he said, how long? Where are we going? He said, I don't know. Just drive. <laughs> yeah. And he told him. You know, he's there. And Hefner's like, I told him. Just drive, and you, you you hit the gas as fast as you can, and you just keep driving. And he's like, we're, we're just going to go until we don't have any more gas. Like, he didn't want any part of it, man. And, like, uh, and, and wrestling with shadows, man, it's got the – because they were, they were shooting – Hart had people shooting for a different documentary, but then parts of the backstage – parts of some of the backstage stuff that happened backstage got caught in some of these cameras. And you can see some of the footage with this, uh, this Wrestling with Shadows documentary. And they have, like, footage of um, – um, they have uh, footage of, like, the, the punch where he came and he hit McMahon. And then after he came out, you can, you can hear, like, McMahon screaming and stuff when he goes out and he hits McMahon. And, and <sighs> you can see, like, some of the stuff like Shawn Michaels running Some around. of this stuff must have slipped my memory because it's oh, been yeah. a while since I've, since I've watched stuff on this. But uh, Oh, yeah, no, it's crazy. The idea of it has stuck in my head, like, that is nuts. Well, the thing is, is see, the Montreal Screwjob was a uh, – be that a lot of wrestlers quit over it. Like, a lot of wrestlers left the company. Yeah, because, with WCW. Yeah, because they they were like they didn't want to work for McMahon anymore, knowing that he did that. Right. But the um, but the uh, the the Montreal Screwjob was a shoot that they basically they tried to put it off as a worked shoot. So what they did is they said, well, they said if we lie about this, then we can have that we can have this come off as a work shoot, and they did that to take away credibility from Brett and to put eyes on WCW because they said, no, I put eyes on WWE because I'm gone raw because, you know, McMahon figured, hey, if I can make people think that this shoot was a work shoot, then I can, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to cut Brett's credibility in half and people, and since I'm the only one talking about it, people are going to have to watch raw instead of nitro in order to find out what the next stage, the next step is. Well, that doesn't sound like another system we have here in America. Doesn't it sound like Donald Trump? <laughs> I mean, right? You know, I mean, oh right? Oh, my goodness. But now let's bring it back around to politics, right? So here's the thing, okay? And what if you watch the video and, and, and you took our advice, then you'll know where we're going here, yeah. right? Because part of Trump's genius that doesn't get talked about enough is how is how literally and it was kind of scary right because i had a sense of this back in 2016 and when trump especially when he was elected president it was like what in the world is america going to look like because a fundamental part of america is now owned by vince mcmahon right and that's really a reality that's a reality how it was because part of trump's mind part of trump's genius comes out of the marketing acumen of Vince McMahon and Trump realized that because when Trump, I mean, Trump's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay, I didn't know that until I watched the video. Yeah, you didn't know that. I mean, no, but I remember. Wild. I remember him being on the show. That was during the time I was watching. Yeah, right. Yeah, and whatnot. You know. Oh no, they brought back Bobby Lashley. I don't really. I don't watch anymore. But uh, I mean, I I know enough to be dangerous, and uh, so I know enough to drop names, and then people say stuff, and I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> but um, but I I know enough to be dangerous. But they brought back Bobby Lashley when he became president. I mean, I don't know that or not. I mean, Lashley was like a no talent hack 
I mean, he was. They found him at a gym somewhere, and uh, basically, they were like, "Oh, like this guy's so muscular that we can't we can't allow it to go to waste. Like we're gonna send this guy to wrestling school, and we're just gonna find a way to use him because they couldn't have a guy that that muscular, right? And so that's where the whole thing came about, where um, we're basically and McMahon fell in love with him, you know, because he loves the big the big hulky guys. So um, uh, and, and uh, so anyhow, that's where um. Because that was the whole uh, storyline, right? It was Trump. Trump came in, and then Trump. Uh, Trump it was, was the battle of billionaires. Yeah, but then Trump was gonna. It, but then remember, I think it was uh, Mc, McMahon hulked up, right? He he, he was gonna fight. He, he definitely got bigger. He got bigger, and he was gonna fight. Yeah. And he was gonna fight Trump, but then Trump, you know, Trump didn't want to fight, so Trump got someone to to got his. Uh, I think he hired Lashley as like his um his representative. Bobby Lashley like was out there. I don't remember exactly. I. I don't remember who but they, they did brought him what. back. They brought him back though. Like when Trump became president, they brought back Bobby Lashley because the MAGA people were so crazy about Trump. Everybody knew who Bobby Lashley was, so they brought back Bobby Lashley. I think he's still wrestling. I think that's crazy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I didn't. Okay, so I didn't know they. Yeah, they I brought him back. So I don't watch, and I'm not familiar. But I think they did bring him back just because of his association with Trump. I think so. I mean, why wouldn't you? You got like 100 million people who are all like MAGA ride or die. I'm pretty sure they would, you know, probably root for Bobby Lashley. Although I don't think he wears a red hat or anything. I think, <laughs> you know, not. I don't think so. So, I mean, probably Well, no, not. you got to figure back then, nobody nobody thought of Donald Trump how, you know, how controversial he is right now. No, He only but, became controversial because he got into politics. No, but I think that when he, you know, you and I were talking about this during our, our three-hour prep session that we had. <laughs> It's like, like a lot of times, like when you're trying to draw the line between, you know, those that believe in the conspiracy and between, you know, just the degradation of human nature, there's, there's, you know, there's effectively, there's a line where you have to admit that elites are making observations and putting these observations to use on a mass scale. And I don't think that Donald Trump was involved with Vince McMahon. I think when Donald Trump looks at Vince McMahon, he sees someone who can affect a mass audience. Like, this is a guy who, like, if you sat down in a room with Vince McMahon had a one-on-one interview, I would imagine it's probably pretty awkward because he's not in his element. But yet, if you start talking to, to Vince McMahon about how he's going to, what we're going to do with a uh, with a pay-per-view crowd of um, 1.2 million people, Right. I think he's in his element and he's probably dropping dimes. Right. Because he knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what's going on. The guy's a master manipulator. Oh, man. No, he really is. He really is. And I think that when I think that when politicians started to and intuitively, I think when politicians started to intuitively, um, I think that Trump, when he was when when he was in wrestling, that Trump was saying, hey, I can learn a lot from this guy. Yeah. And then when politicians in general started to intuitively LARP, you know, the WWE, because that was a way that they could, uh, you know, begin to work within some of the frameworks that uh, Eric Weinstein is talking about. Yeah. And I, I think that when um, when that happened, Trump was able to look at that and say, you know what? These guys just wish they knew McMahon. I actually know. Like, like Trump's like, if they think they can do it, like, I can do it times it, times, times 50 yeah, times yeah, 100, yeah. Right? right? Right. Trump's like, "Man, if they think that they can wield that weapon, like if they want to come to uh they want to come to a gunfight with a machine gun, they ain't seen nothing yet cuz I'm going to be bringing a tank and a bazooka and I'm yeah. going to bring it all, <laughs> right? So, I think that, you know, when it comes to coming in and, and and it comes to 
you know, working with the distraction and then they're working within the kayfabe. Um, that's what Trump has. He used it to ascend all the way to the presidency. And I think that he used it to blur the lines because you could talk about Trump. And I'm not interested in having a two hour, three hour podcast uh, talking about Trump and all the things that he does that people can't that you can't figure out if it's up, down, left or right. However, I can say that Trump succeeded with it and we're never going back. Right. Right. Like we're never. Going well, that's back. the standard. You have to hit that standard. Now, the bar has been set. Well, yeah. Anything below that and someone else is going to outdo you. Well, look at it now. I mean, so for so we are recording this right now in February of uh, 2023. It's early. And the um, State of the Union address just happened. Right. Yeah, that happened. And uh, in, in, in terms of the actual State of the Union, I could not believe how much. Like, okay, so the State of the Union has so many elements of this, okay, was a wrestling pay-per-view. Right. I mean, I couldn't believe it. Like, and, and it was because I had seen the video and I had kind of read some stuff and I kind of framed, I kind of knew the frame that we were going to be working with for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then I took some time to kind of check into the, um, to check into the, um, uh, into the, uh, the state of the union. Sorry. Well, yeah. So this is before, <laughs> right? So what had happened was, um, uh, I checked it in and then no kidding. Right. I go to check in on the state of the union and they're literally having a wrestling interview, okay? It was with MTG, okay, Major Taylor Green, all right? And so they had there was a political person, there was a person from like MSNBC, and they were talking to her. And she comes in, and she comes in, and when she's given the interview, she's got like the stance, you know, like legs apart, shoulders up, what? right? So she comes up and then she's got the she's got the stern face. And I'm like, man, this is like a wrestling interview. Well, Anyways, she brought in a prop. Uh, you might have seen it. She brought in the white, <laughs> the, the, white the, the white balloon, balloon right? <laughs> and she gets there, the white balloon. So she got the white balloon, and then you know, and then uh, the the interviewer's like, "Well, you're not gonna go walk around with the light balloon, right?" And oh then, yeah, she is. And then she goes right in the. And I'm like, man, MC, <laughs> MCG's not going into wrestling mode, is she? And of course, I know she is. And then I'm like, so it's like I know what's gonna happen, and I can't do anything to stop it. So sure enough, there she goes, you know. Well, let me tell you, brother, Joe Biden's a liar, and <laughs> we are feckless and weak, and you know, oh, no. <laughs> and the Hulkamania is going to be running wild in the midterm elections or whatever it is. And so, and then we're so then she goes and she gives like this wrestling interview, and I'm like, man, and 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 then the the person giving the interview is like goosing up the whole thing, right? Like it's going to be an event. Like you need to be here, not because of what you expect. You need to be here because of what you. Don't expect like the State of the Union is supposed to be like. I, I don't. I don't think it's supposed to be sad, but like it should be serious. Well, no. and, and you, but that's not even the point. The point is, is that nope. it is a spectacle, okay? But the spectacle that's being presented is 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 the wrestling spectacle. It's the unexpected that you didn't see coming, and it is the it, it is the blurring of truth and fiction. It has nothing to do with what Joe Biden said. Like what he said up there is inconsequential, and I couldn't tell you a thing about it, and neither could anybody else. All right, so, but. <laughs> And, and no one, Joe Biden. Yeah, no one would even want to. <laughs> so, so here. So anyway, let's just cue to the next uh, morning. The next morning, I get up and I go to Twitter because I say, "Man, I don't know what happened, but I know Twitter's going to be wild because whatever happened, it's going to be interesting to see if it was wrestling kayfabe, right?" Yeah. So I go onto Twitter the next day. This is after the State of the Union, mm-hmm. and um, 
Uh, so I get on there, and the first thing I see, right, first thing, and I hope that you're in on this. I hope you are. First thing I see, right, is uh, the vice president's husband kissing the president's wife. Okay. And they're smooching, and it's a, and then they got an open mouth kiss, and it's right there on Twitter. Are you serious? This is it. Are you? Okay. This is, and I say... I'm under a rock, apparently. And, dude, and I'm looking at this on Twitter, and I look at this, and you see the vice president's husband kissing the president's wife on the lips. And I go, man, this is ten times worse than I could possibly imagine. Okay. Right? So Because it's wrestling. It's kayfabe. It's wrestling pay-per-view. All right? It's wrestling pay-per-view. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at this. Oh, my goodness. Right? This is real? What in the world? Exhibit number one, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, no. Oh. Jill Biden and Doug Emhoff share kiss ahead of Biden's State of the Union. That is... You're not... The open mouth thing, you're not kidding. Yeah. Like, this is like straight up on the lips, open mouth. Yep. Yep. When Major Taylor Greene was given that interview... I said, this is an event. And just like a wrestling pay-per-view, okay, every morning, okay, after a wrestling pay-per-view, there are two things that you're going to talk about, okay? When you pay, you pay that 20, I mean, I don't know how much it is these days, probably like $1,000. I was like, did you just say $20? No, I was was, talking about the Coke you're buying. Probably, maybe. (laughs) Or like, I guess it's free nowadays. I don't even know. But anyhow, (laughs) so anyhow, when I was watching that, after a wrestling pay-per-view, okay, whatever money you forked over to watch it or whatever, how much time you invested in watching the matches, every time, next day, there's always two things that you're going to talk about. Two things. The first thing that you're going to talk about is what you, is some shocking, controversial thing that you thought was going to happen. And that's your confirmation, okay? So that's right. that's meant to validate you as a fan, okay? So that's that's doing a lot. Of, it, it's for fan hierarchy and so that you can kind of for your, your cred within the micro community. Yeah, I saw that coming, yep. Yeah, you right. know, and yeah. like, you know, maybe bringing new fans, things like this. Okay. And then the second thing you talk about is the shocking thing that happened on the pay-per-view that nobody saw coming. Thinking back to my childhood, and you're right. There it is, right? So that absolutely, and it, and and we used to go into this, right? Like when you buy a pay per view, like when I was in uh, when I was in college, uh, I was always po. So um the uh, <laughs> so uh, I I never but but back in college there was a few of us that used to pitch in. You know, we used to do that because pay per views back then you could pitch in five bucks, and then you could say, hey, let's get like uh, five or six guys together, each throw in five bucks, and we'll grab this pay per view. We'll come over and we'll hang out. You know. Watch the pay-per-view. So whenever you were watching the pay-per-view, the lead up to the pay-per-view, it was always like, right? You get nervous because you're always waiting for that one thing. Like something's going to happen tonight that nobody sees coming. And then the the Monday Night Wars, like you have to watch the next day because, you like because you know, the the thing that happened that was controversial that you saw coming that was the reason that Monday night exists in the first place, right? Like that is why that that's why Monday nights exist. And so right. that is worth it. It's worthy, but it's not controversial. Then you get the thing that happens that no one sees coming, and that is what that is what causes you to spike the ratings. Is what causes you to buy more pay per views, and it, it it's also what pushes the envelope. So. At the State of the Union address, we had these two things. The The thing that nobody saw come in was the kiss, right? And so immediately when I would go to Twitter, the first thing I do, the first thing I want to talk about 
and, and, and this is wild. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like porn, you know? It's like something you know is objectively bad, but then you well, see yourself going through the motions, and then when you're going through the motions, you're just like, you feel like you're like a demonic slave or something, right? So it's the same thing like with the wrestling. So when, I don't know who's into this again. genre. So in the <laughs> so the the and so the the and so as far as the um as far as the 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 state of the union address as soon as I saw it on Twitter I went through the motions of my old wrestling days so the the I come in and I say what I want to do is I want to find out what Joe Biden said and I want to get past the spectacle and I want to be able to see where we are as a democracy, as a series of institutions. And within 1.2 seconds, okay, I am now on Twitter and I'm scroll. I now I'm like, I'm scrolling and I want to find, and you know what I'm looking for? I'm looking for the kiss. I got a list of names. I want to know what all these people said about the kiss. I got all these, uh, I got all these posts. Oh, I wonder how many angles of the kiss that we have. Do we have three angles, five angles, 10 angles? You're I sick. No, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sick, you know? And then I'm like, oh, how about the mainstream media? Are they going to talk about the kiss? What are they going to say about the kiss? I'm not going to lie. Are they going to ignore the kiss? I had to watch the video just now just to, I was I, I got to see how this unfolded. Right, yeah. Exactly. A still right, picture's just not going to do it. Just not going to do it, right? And you want to see it all. And so, therefore, I'm now no longer, right, Tom, who's concerned about the democ- about, about the state of our democracy and our institutions. No, 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 no. <laughs> now, all I want to know is I just want to see the kiss, you know? And then I start, and then it's even worse, right? Because then people start sharing uh, pictures of, you know, uh, Kamala Harris, and they say this still, and they're like, Oh, do you think that she's so stern because she saw the kiss? And I start thinking about this stuff myself. And I got to, like, smack myself like, up. Hello. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> I got to smack myself like, like, hey, listen, buddy, you're like, you know, you're like your middle-aged person, man. Like, you know, <laughs> you're not like 17-year-old kid anymore, like, watching, you know, like, NWO sold out, you know? Like, this is, t- this is 2023, you know? Like, you got to get beyond this, right? So I break out of that, right? And I realize I'm like, man... This state of the union stuff really is like wrestling, right? So, and I realized that I've now seen the unexpected thing. And so then uh, afterwards I go, okay, so let's go see what happened. So then, of course, you get to the next thing, which is the shocking event that everybody expects. And what that was is that was the moment, and you might have seen this too. I don't maybe you didn't, but that was the moment where Joe Biden accused the— Now, this is the thing that happened that everybody thought was going to happen. All right. Joe Biden says that the Republicans want to end Medicare and they're intending to introduce a bill that is going to end Medicare. And they called him a liar. And they called him a liar. And they said, oh, you're a liar. And then Biden was like, oh, hey, you know, and then he was like throwing out some shade or whatever. And then people were yelling and screaming. And it started to look like the British Parliament, you know, where people do that as a matter of course. (laughs) So anyhow. Yeah. So and, and this was the whole thing. And so. You know, uh, and so w- this is what everybody kind of expected to happen. And so I, just like in wrestling, I go, okay. So this was very interesting because at this point, I stopped thinking about the overall picture of wrestling and work shoots and things like this. And I started to think about the four-quadrant model, right? This was this was in the third video. Yep. And then the four-quadrant model because – you can watch it happening in real time, 
All right. I mean, you really can. Because being in a, like, so in the four quadrant model, and I'm just going to give this as a review, okay? So in the four quadrant model, you have the upper quadrant. And the upper quadrant is you have the uh, establishment, um, kind of the elite view of the event. And then diagonally on the bottom, you have the, uh, diagonally on the bottom, you have kind of like the, the, the kind of the, the, the hokey kind of like, you know, kind of like a, a conspiracy minded type stuff. And then in the, uh, and then in the, the opposite ends, you have like the free thinkers, the people who want to ask the hard questions that have, that don't have easy answers. Yeah. And then you have the other corner, the opposite of that, you have the people that are benefiting and that are basically able to work their, work their evil ways carte blanche, usually for money. Usually it's for e- an economic reason. You know, they want to, they want to get rich and power, rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. So. I was able to watch this in real time because the first thing that I did is I said, okay, so let's go ahead and let's see uh, the predictables. We're going to go to either side of the extreme. So the first thing I did was I went to the extreme right. And, you know, and then you have the extreme right and then you have all the, 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 the people that are saying, oh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the Democrats, uh, the Democrats are evil. And so they are making lies and they're telling lies. And then we have these these wonderful patriots that are jumping up and down and, and they're defending their, their, our freedom. And and uh, so these are, uh, you know, this is probably, you know, the. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the first time that, uh, you know, uh, we've had this uh, kind of uh, discourse and these things. And so, um, and, uh, and so these are patriots, right? And so then it went to the left and to the, the institutionals. And so you go to the Twitter accounts, you know, like, you know, Brooklyn Dad and, you know, all these, these crazy people. And so, like, I mean, Brooklyn Dad, like, listen, man, like, I have, okay, Brooklyn Dad, so first of all, all right, all right. So, would you believe that Brooklyn Dad is a real guy, right? Okay. And, like, I never want to meet this guy. Like, I didn't, I would travel, like, 100 miles out of my way just not to have to meet this guy, man. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, how much in the tank do you need to be not to have a nuanced view? So, anyhow, like, you go to the left, and everyone's saying, like, Dark Brandon, right? You can go on there on Twitter. You can check it out. So, they're saying, oh, Dark Brandon, you know, and they got all the memes, you know, and they're like, oh, uh... Democrats, uh, you know, Joe Biden owns the uh, owns the Republicans with their own meme. Dark Brandon, you know, throws shade, fire burns up MTG, you know, and, uh, you know, and all these. So all these people like Brooklyn Dad and all these other Twitter accounts, like they're all like, oh, you know, like Joe Biden is so amazing and so wonderful and all this stuff. And all these people are crazy. And uh, and so then um, uh, and so then and everything gets, uh, you know, and 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 um. You know everything gets gets uh, pushed to the extremes. So then, what you do is you have the the hard questions. So in the upper quadrant, where the hard questions get asked, I'm starting to think about it, and I go, you know, okay. So here's what I think, and I think this is probably a good question. It's a hard question that doesn't have an easy answer. Is do you remember when Donald Trump gave the State of the Union address, and AOC and the Squad and Nancy Pelosi all dressed in white? Oh yeah. And you remember when Nancy Pelosi gave up, and remember she she gave the clap, and she was mocking Trump, and remember that? Yeah. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask this question. How is what the Republicans did in MTG, how is that different than what AOC did? It's not. Not that different, right? It's not different at all. The truth is, is that the Republicans and the Democrats are all playing the same kayfabe game. It's all kayfabeification. 
and it's all the same. It's all the same. It's all kayfabe. It didn't become obvious until Trump, though. Well, no, and it, and it really didn't become obvious until Trump. And and so the thing is, is that, you know, everybody knew that that was going to be the way that things were done, you know, afterwards. And so, I mean, really, it's and, and again, we'll talk a little bit here about the gatekeepers because, you know, we do have um, we'll talk a little bit about the gatekeepers. You know, we have the the, the um, embedded growth obligations and then we have the gin, which is the gated institutional narrative. And then you have the disc, which is the distributed idea compression complex. And so the the EGO, all right, so effectively is once AOC did that thing and once Nancy Pelosi did that, then it was just a matter of time until the Republicans either did the same or upped it. So they had to respond in like kind. Yeah, they, they had to respond in like kind. And so this is one of those uh, – this is one of those – um, gated institutional narratives, all right? This is one of those gins, okay, where people on the inside, who are people who are in the inner circle, can speak to the truth. They can say, well, now that this has been on TV, we're, it's going to get worse. The other side's going to do it. Next time there's a Democrat there, it's going to happen. It's going to get worse. And people can go, yep, I agree. And people go, wow, this is really going to break the union. And people can go, yep, I agree. And people can go, wow, we're in a lot of trouble. We'll go, yep, I agree. And then those same people can come out on MSNBC or can come out on cable news and they can say, well, what we did was an act of heroism and we're trying to save the country. And once people can accept that, we're all going to go back to normal and it's always going to get better, man. And it's going to be utopia, man. And it's going to be amazing. And they can do that five minutes later. And so what we have here is you know we have a series of gated institutional narratives and uh and so then we end up having the the disc you know the distributed idea compression complex okay when an organization is built all right is built on a sustainability model that you have to be able to tell untruths in order to get people to engage right and so what the untruth is okay is the white hats and the black hats Right. Is so to say that, okay, when AOC was doing it, she was trying to she was trying to save people. She was trying to make sick babies feel better. She was trying to make poor people, you know, she was trying to give poor people food. There was virtue. So, yeah, it was a virtue. (laughs) However, when MTG does it right, when Major Taylor Greene does it and it is not a virtue, it is an act of villainy. And so, you know, this is what is presented to people. And so this is where you also get the, uh, this is where you get the, um, for example, but if someone comes out and someone like myself or someone like, uh, 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 you know, like you or, or whether it be like, a, like, a, uh, like an Eric Weinstein or someone or anybody, yeah. if someone were to come out and they have, uh, ask a tough question, they'll say, well, it really appears now that uh, we, uh, that, that um, you know, our, that the divide within this country has become so severe that we now resemble uh, more like the British Parliament than we do the American Congress. And that has some serious ramifications for our political institutions, which have lasted for 300 years. And what we need to do now is we need to talk about the timeline between institutional decline and violence. Right. And so that's a very uncomfortable statement to speak and it's uncomfortable to act upon. However, it never sees the light of day because as soon as you say it, people say, 
people say, well, you know, you know, Major Taylor Greene did this or the Republicans did this. You're, you're just a Republican uh, shill or uh, or um, you're just uh, LARPing or you're parroting. It doesn't and, you know, it doesn't even have to be something that's like cast out there in the future like that that it could be something that's like so factual like the sky's blue like there's a there's an article on yahoo news and the pictures of marjorie taylor green and the headline says gop response to state of the union illustrates decline of civility and the pictures of marjorie taylor green just shouting you know and pointing right and it's like, and if you go back and you look at the pictures of AOC when she did that to Trump, I you will be how, star- you'll be starched. No, how, but how about Nancy Pelosi ripping up the speech behind the sitting president? Oh yeah, she was she was um, they were comparing her to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and 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 they said, oh, they said uh, you know, uh, you know, these are people that uh, are heroes. Yeah. Right. Heroes. They showed AOC standing up in her dress and the uh, the 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 dress that she wore. It's perfect. No wrinkles. You know. And they 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 show her with the 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 you know, like the Castro pose. Everything. I mean, it's it's all manufactured. Yeah. And like you said, these people are they're, they're supposed to be one congressman, one congresswoman. It's supposed to be one vote. But yeah, that's they have right. All of this power because we've essentially turned magic tricks into like. We've made that useful for like making personalities. That's that's what Vince McMahon figured yeah, out. Yeah, well, how that's to do. right. Well, I mean, again, but Vince McMahon figured out how to see a person that he could give a push to, right? You know, but he he's the guy that sees Bobby Lashley, and he says, "Hey, if we give this guy a push behind Donald Trump, we're gonna have a star in our hands." Right. You know, and so these are people that are able to say, "Hey, you know, if we." You know, people are saying, like, for example, and I'm not saying that this is what they do because I don't really know. I mean, I'm I'm just a guy, so I don't, I don't know one way or the other. But it's fascinating to think about it because when AOC got elected, right, she was with the Bernie Sanders crowd. And the Bernie Sanders crowd was with the Never Biden crowd, remember? The Sanders crowd was like, forget the Democrats. The Democrats are the enemy. We're going further left. We're going to go Black Lives Matter. We're going to go Bernie. We're going AOC. We're going full Medicare. We're going to burn it all down. Right? I, I can't believe she got elected. She was wrecking the she wrecked the Amazon uh, plant that was supposed to go into that district. Yeah, that's right. Like, people were so against her. Yeah, no, they were. But they, they used that a lot of times, too. AOC gave gave a voice to the discontents who were leaving the party with Bernie and they were kind of separating from the mainstream. And so what they did is they were able to to use that, to reunite that with Nancy Pelosi, who kind of represented a little bit of the of who represented a little bit of the traditional Democrats, so that they were able to bring the, the those two voting blocks together, and they were able to use that to push forward uh, legislation. And, Pretty good because they also, they turned her into a face instead of a heel. Well, just remember though, um, the remember the two Rolling Stone, right? Nancy Pelosi gave an interview with Rolling Stone, right? Where she basically threw a bunch of shade at the uh, uh, she threw a bunch of shade at the uh, at the squad, but it wasn't I think within six months, and I could be wrong about these dates, but I think it was six months later, she appeared on the front cover of Rolling Stone with the squad, like <laughs> they were they had a big photo op together, right? The irony, and so the like the irony of it all, and so but that's no different. It's no different than 
it's no different than having, uh, for example, I'm trying to think of an example, and I'm probably going to give a bad example. So, wrestling fans, please forgive me. Yeah, like tag, like ta- when tag teams break up or whatever. Yeah, no, together. exactly. But it's like when, uh, it's like when, um, 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 uh, you know, it's like when ev- it's like when Evolution, you know, uh, feuds with Randy Orton, and then six months later, Randy Orton joins the stable, and so then he's part of Evolution, you know, so that now, you know, you're able to, you know, you're able to give Randy Orton a push. And then you make him a bad guy so yeah. that he can get over with a new with, with the new segments and then he can be used to push the next guy. And they flip him in and out. They make they heels face, they flip that stuff like it's nothing. Well, that's correct, but that's where you get the the blurred lines, all right? Yeah. You get the blurred lines between the politics and the media. And that's where you also get these gated institutional narratives, right? Mm-hmm. Where politicians and the media will work together to create the faces, the heels, the feuds, the stables, and they do that to create this kayfabe, this mix between the lie and the truth, right? And again, this is where, so it's very difficult for us to sit down in front of a microphone and to try to reach a point where we can bring you from zero to a hundred where we can bring you from where you're going to, you're not going to understand what we're talking about and you're going to be confused by the acronyms. And then we're going to go all the way to a hundred percent where, uh, you're going to have a full understanding of, of what, of what is happening. I think the videos are a really excellent place to start. And I think if you watch them, that's a great benefit to you. But I, I do think that, okay, so it really, we talked about before about making the contrast about those that believe in a conspiracy and those on the other side who are really looking at interconnected human nature. And so there is a very valid reason for why we have this kind of kayfabe, why you know people like AOC, who, uh, is, uh, who is a villain or a face, and we have, um, we have stables uh, and, um, and we have groups like the squad, right, or like the Tea Party, you know. And, uh, and so uh, we have all these uh, different uh, – we have all these different um, – these different groups. And so, uh, they, and they weigh off this kayfabe where on the inside, everybody knows how the game is played. And yet, everybody plays a role uh, for the people who are outside of the 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 gateway, right? The gate. Right. And we've all kind of known this, but it's putting words to it that's hard to do. Yeah, no, it really is. And so, one thing about the video, particularly the second video that I really admire, is the way that they talk about the um, the... the the, the different trends in terms of GDP and in terms of wages. So you've heard the name Derek Des, uh, Derek DeSola? Yeah. Yeah, from the video. You remember that from the video? I do. So Derek DeSola was, uh, he came to the conclusion that if we were to continue on the pattern of unlimited growth, right, unlimited growth, that you would have more scientists for than you would have men, women, and children and dogs in the country. Yeah. Right. So at some point that's got to stop. Yeah. And what that means, it means that growth has stopped. And, and so I think that that is something that uh, I think that's something that's it's fairly easy to understand. I think what what is difficult to put words to is how the illusion needed to be maintained, right? Because this didn't really come alive for me until I did the research on the acronyms and I really started to understand what the gin was, all right, what the gated institutional narrative was and what the disc was, right? Mm-hmm. I thought one of the great things was that uh, that um, they talked about the uh, 
the law firm, right, with the lawyers, and how uh, and how it, it can become a pyramid scheme. That's what it is. Yeah, and I thought it was amazing because <laughs> and that's it, just one example. No, it really is. And I was trying to explain this to my kids. You know, we were sitting at the dinner table, and I was trying to kind of give them a sense of this. You know, that if you spend yeah. all your time in school and you yeah. work hard, and you are able to, uh, you're able to work hard. And you have this uh, expectation that you're going to get a job, and you're going to work hard, you're going to rise up through the ranks. It's a pretty great thing when you can promote and when you can achieve your dreams. And yet, at the same time, when the law firm, when you don't have real growth, that law firm is not growing. So those partners at the top, they ain't going nowhere, right? Those ju- those junior lawyers, junior partners, they ain't never going to become full partners, right? Nope. Unless they leave, and so it's never going to happen. No. And so the um and so you have to be aware when you are deciding what your future is going to be or what your dreams are going to be that there is a real possibility that on a mass scale it's getting bigger every day. Yeah. On a mass scale, that we are telling the future generations, we're telling our friends, we're telling our children. We're telling those that we love. We're telling them lies. You know, because of these DISC, all right? The Distributed Idea Compression Complex, okay? So when an organization is built on an embedded growth obligation, okay? Things are just going to get better, man, right? You're just going to make more money. It's just going to get, it's going to be more and more and more. It's kind of like when you have, um, it's kind of like when you have a new product and everybody buys it and you don't know like when you've reached, you know, you just you can just raise the price and it just keeps going up up up, right? You know. Well, until you and you have to understand simple laws of supply and demand. Yeah. I mean that that goes for people too. If you got a bunch of lawyers like eventually there's no jobs for you. Right. And your wage exactly goes right. down because you lose value. Yeah. Not because you've started to suck at your job. But just because everybody else can do the same thing as you, yeah, exactly. You know, no, it's well, true. And look at businesses. This is the sh- look. We stopped enforcing the Sherman Sherman Antitrust Act, right? And what happened? Well, goodbye, mom and pop stores. You're out of here. See you later. Hello, Walmart. There you go. Right. Yeah. And you know, you know it's really uh, so. You know, you have this this illusion, and why do we need to keep up the illusion? All right. So there's so much. I think a lot of it goes back to. Um, Again, I'm circling around here, okay? So we could probably talk about this forever uh, and really want to try to slow it down because I think this is so important to understand. A lot of it comes back to the, um, you remember that uh, there was the picture between growth on the one end and then violence on the other. Yeah, yeah, the right? line. yeah. So you either have you either have growth or violence, right? And, and this really is, is, is so true because if people disagree starkly, right, if people disagree starkly, if you have real growth, honestly, it's really not that bad. Everybody's getting along. Everyone gets along. You know, and the people that can't get along with others, they're going on vacation, right? Yeah. I told that the other night. We were at the dinner table and I was talking about it. And I said, I said, you know, if we had real growth, we probably wouldn't hate the we wouldn't hate the left like we do, you know? Nope. And everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And they're looking at me like I got like I don't know what I'm talking about. And I said, Hey man, if we had the money in the bank, we I'd be, be we would be sitting at the dinner table, we'd be having vacation. You know, I'd be I, I we'd be on vacation, I'd be having a good time, and people would say, Hey Tom, what do you think about the state of the world? And I'd be like, Well, you know, I mean there's a lot of bad stuff going on, but the sun is shining and the water's cool, so hey man, it's a pretty good day for me. Gen X is gonna be the last ones that really have a good grasp on that. 
yeah. unless somebody passes it along. Right, you know, and like, hey, if someone wants to come along and try to, you know, gender change my kid, then yeah, I'm going to start throwing punches. But other than that, <laughs> man, let's go get dinner, you know, right? right? So, I mean, right? So I'm trying to explain to them that, you know, growth really covers a lot of that. And, and, and we used to live in a world, you and I, you and I used to live in a world like that, but we don't anymore. We live in a world where every red blood, I mean, if you cut somebody and they have red stuff that comes out of the cut, then they hate somebody else. They like, they have half the country that they can't stand, right? right. So why is it like that? Well, to hear Eric Weinstein tell it, and he's right, it's because GDP goes up, real growth goes down. Yeah. Right. And, and I do, I can appreciate, I really do appreciate his alternative look at it because there's two ways to look at it you have the brenton woods view and then i think you have i think the 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 eric weinstein view all right which which is kind of like this um uh, i want to say it's uh uh it, it it's has to do a lot more with civil unrest with violence and it really opened my eyes to this because I was very familiar with the Bretton Woods view, International Monetary Fund. Yeah, you know, the, yeah, and the fiat money, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and the boom bust cycle, uh, Austrian economics, and yep. and and the, so we have the the boom bust cycle. So you're able to basically you're able to inflate the money, mm-hmm. and then what you're able to do is when the bubble burst, then you're able to shift the wealth. So, you know, right now, because we don't have growth, we don't have any real growth. So now we just have a pie where different classes all have different parts of the pie. And so uh, the way that a lot of this works, and this is very overly simplistic, so please don't, uh, you know, don't say, you know, I heard an expert, you know, you know, Tom over there is the expert and he knows what's going on. So, but I, I, I do have some knowledge on this. So the way, the way it kind of works, right? So the Fed will, what they'll do is they'll pump a lot of money into the system, Right. And so the money will always benefit the people that see it first. And so that's always the banks. And then the banks will feed it into the investment funds. And then the investment funds will feed it to the corporations, okay? And so and so we all have this, and uh, they'll always feed it to the, uh, to the corporations. And so the corporations have DISC, right? They have Distributed Idea Compression Complex, where they're basically lying to people, all right? So it's, this is not centrally controlled. It's not happening in boardrooms. It's just generally understood that, you know, hey, Steve, did you know that our company, you know, Acme, uh, Acme Hammers and Nails, did you know that we make the best hammers and nails in the whole wide world? And that if you join us and you swing that hammer enough times, then one day you're going to, you know, get to grow and just like our company will grow, right? Like you're trying to forecast uh, growth into the future. Yep. And, you know, what can happen is all this new money can all this new money can be used to uh, to inflate all these uh, to inflate all these statements all these financial statements, and then the go- and then so that it benefits the uh, the rich at the top of the corporate structure. You know, that's illegal in Wall Street. <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. <laughs> so then the government can tax those corporations and take the windfall. Right, they can mm-hmm. take the tax windfall, yep. which gives them more institutional power. Yep. So what you're doing is you're creating new money, and then you're siphoning that the power that new money creates into uh, into a centralized power. Right. Yep. And so then uh, and so then w- that's what the government does. Right. And so then but eventually you have the bubble. Right. And so then the bubble will pop and it burst. And so when it burst, it's usually that's usually at the wage level. Right. And so that's where you're that's at the wage level. And you never see it in the wages. You always see it in the prices of th- things that you buy. Right. Mm-hmm. 
so this is why we all sat at home during COVID for for a year, and you know we all played video games for a year and and, and goofed off. And now you know eggs cost ten dollars a dozen. So you know that's how this all happens. So it's always the people who see the money first that benefit, and it's always and, and that includes the government through tax windfalls. And then it also the people at the bottom. They always pay the price. So they're the people that pay the price when the prices rise, and that's the inflation. And so uh, usually what will happen is when you're trying to, you know, it's kind of like an earthquake or a fire. Like when you're trying to, like, clear off the rubble so that people can, you know, feel normal again, you know, they're trying to do all that work. That's always the workers. The workers are the ones that do it. And by the time, and so they're working hard. They'll take two jobs. They'll take a part-time job. They'll try to become an influencer or try to get like a, 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 a patron or whatever it is. And so those people will work harder to try to clear off the rubble. And when the rubble is cleared away, what they see in, in the case of an earthquake or a fire, what they see is they see some semblance of what they used to know, the city they used to know, except everything's destroyed. And what people see is they see the world. They see a semblance of something that they used to know. But what they see instead is they see income redistribution. The rich have gotten richer and the poor have gotten poorer. And so they can't really complain necessarily about uh, their rate of pay. You know, they can't go and say, well, I used to make $15 an hour, but now I'm effectively, now I'm making $13 an hour and I'm mad, I'm not going to take it anymore. They can't say that. What they can say is they can say, oh, you know, I can't buy eggs at the grocery store. Talk to the grocer, talk to the farmer, Talk to the politician, talk to the banker, talk to your dad, mom, talk to uh, the right wing crazies, talk to the communist. It's lie, truth, lie, truth, lie, truth. It's kayfabification so that you have more than those four layers of lies. You know, you have like, hey, you know. I can't believe the farmers. I can't believe the competition. I can't believe the politicians. I can't believe the bankers. And I can't believe the grocers because they're all conspiring in this grand conspiracy <laughs> so that I have to pay $10, right? No, no. It's just that there's all these layers of lies that have been set up for you and your brain can't handle it. And you're not going to work through them? Yeah, you're not going to work through them. Ever. Your brain can't handle it. No. And so, right. And so you're stuck in this kayfabe. That's one of the reasons why in the politicians, right? You don't have, it's not like AOC and MTG are sitting in a room and going, okay, well, let's come up with the script. So the, uh, the inflation, it affects everyone. Uh, it affects the people at the bottom uh, worse than the people at the top. Uh, as an example, uh, myself, I, I'm a big steak fan. And so I, I love steak. A lot of people do. I know that doesn't make me special. Uh, but I used to eat steak uh, quite a bit. Uh, and so I, I would have it whenever I had a chance, and I never got sick of it, and I loved it. It was just such a joy uh, whenever I was able to do it, to have it. And I haven't had a steak in, like, three years. Whoa. I, I, I think I've had, like, two. I think there was one. One time, uh, someone, uh, my wife bought me a steak for my birthday, and that was a couple of years ago. And then I think uh, one was gifted to me. I think that uh, somebody I, gifted you a steak. Yeah, no, no. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I think uh, I think it was gifted to me. Uh, like wrapped it or took took you out for dinner? No, no, no. I think it was. Uh, I think it was from the church. They gave us some food. So okay. and uh, I think there was a steak in there. Okay. And so we all cut up the steak into little pieces and had a little bit. But gotcha. 
the um but the um uh anyhow i i think that's probably my that's probably my steak experience for like the last three years because i simply out of my reach i mean i can't afford it right so i just can't uh, i just can't go and buy one so the, the and and it has very little to do with my income it's just that the the steaks my, the money doesn't go as far so things cost more and because things cost more and I'm unable to keep up in terms of my wage that now um, because of uh, of the transfer of wealth right because of the inflation that I now I'm not able to have now I'm not able to have the stake that is a real life example of how basically I was a prosperous person who was able to do things that I enjoy well that's a- and then now what I'm now I'm not able to I have to cut that part of enjoyment out of my life they talk about though the the middle class disappearing and that's that gets overused but that's sort of what they're talking about in in the they so we I don't, I'm not I don't want to jump in the bottom left box with the conspiracy theorists here but I don't remember if it was something I was reading or, or if it was in the video I think it might have been something I was reading but they said no one works harder than a hungry person they're talking about uh, you know hunger for some people is an asset like seriously yeah yeah and like they're saying though that's how uh places you know in these third world countries like why right why do you think we build plants there right this guy was like fully admitting it yeah it's crazy like well and and see here's the thing is is a lot of this ends up into the retreat to fantasy that got spoken about in the video remember that they connected the so there's a, a direct connection between the end of prosperity and the retreat to fantasy, all right? Because this is the fundamental difference, all right? So think about the revolts recently, uh, and I'm going to name three of them. There was the revolt in Egypt, the revolt in Iraq, and then there was the uh, the revolts in uh, in China and Hong Kong. Well, that's actually four. So uh, uh, just because the China the China one was um, pretty fairly recent and fairly short, mm. but uh, you had these, all right? In Egypt, one hundred thousand people in the streets. All right. In Iran, you have military guards who are walking around the city, shooting in the air, shooting in windows, and who are just scaring people, trying to get people into submission. In Hong Kong, they shut down the country in protest because there was like a million people just in the streets. And in China, they basically threatened societal stability simply so that they didn't have to be locked up anymore. And so you have all these, uh, but you have all these revolutions. These are, and, and uh, Eric Weinstein calls these, it calls this the end revolution, right? So, and that was, a, it's a fascinating thing. You can look into that as well. Uh, but the end squared revolution. And so these are all things that are happening around the world. Now, in the first world, okay, in America or in Britain or in this first world countries, we haven't seen as much of these outbursts, all right? So when you tell someone, Hey, you know, 100,000 people took to the streets and there was violence and people shooting out guns and there was awful people. You're more likely, all right? This is where you get the uh this is where you get the the four quadrants. So this is where you get the four quadrants. So the the narrative in the upper right-hand corner is that those people in those countries are evil. And so the people are rising up against evil and they want to be a force for good. Okay? And then opposite that 
you would get the uh, you would get like the conspiracy, or you get the uh, the the other narrative. So when people try to ask the uh, the hard questions, uh, they'll get told that oh, you don't want to fight evil. That you're you're you know you're with uh, the authoritarians. You know you 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 want the bad guys to win, right? Yeah. So in the upper corner is the hard question, right? And so the hard question that we need to ask that we are not able to put forth is where does distraction what kind of role does distraction have in all this all right because people and again i'll go back to tolstoy who in in modern russia used to say that the elites in modern russia use distraction as a way to avoid having to address the issues of the serfs of the poor and of their spiritual depravity you know and you would say that the elites distract themselves Mm -hmm. and currently in america we are addicted to distraction. Oh my goodness! Yes, we yeah. are. Everything is a distraction, and so what we do is, and when I heard in the video, they talk about the retreat to fantasy. So you have this retreat to fantasy, and that for me, when I I heard that, I said that's Tolstoy's distraction. That's the distraction. We are so distracted because let's face it. All right. So let's talk about these narratives, right? So if you have a narrative that says that, uh, that says that. You're not going to get a pay raise or that your pay raise, the overwhelming chance, okay, if you look at somebody and you say, all right, well, first of all, number one, the chances of your wage outpacing inflation is in your lifetime is very, very small. And then you tell someone that your chance of being able to uh, successfully establish yourself in an actual uh, uh you know, and an actual uh, growth obligation, like an embedded growth obligation, you're able to get into a company where you're going to have exponential growth right. is in your lifetime is very, very small. Like the vast majority of opportunities open to you are uh, are, are not there. There is a gated institutional narrative there. There's not that there, you don't have a chance. It's like a, it's the whole glass ceiling idea. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to get there. And if you told and, and also too that um, also too that. The people that, um, if you told someone that 75% of the messages that you are told are not, are, are just not true, right? I mean, we tell people, hey, go vote because your vote counts. Yeah. Right? Okay. And that, th- th- there you go. That's a good one. That's lost some credibility, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, right. That's lost some credibility. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, that's lost of credibility um, that, uh, um, you know, that. Uh, or go to college. Yeah, go go to college, right? Because <laughs> that's going to work out great for you. Yeah, there you go, right? That's right. Go to college, or you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, you know, be a nice guy to get a wife. You know, these are all different things that uh, that you can say. And so we we say these things to people, and most people, if they heard them, they would realize once the kayfabe comes off, right? It's kind of like that moment when you're a wrestling fan, right? And so you said for you, it was when um, it was when Stone Cold hit Vince McMahon with the bedpan. That was my good days. It was like right after that. Okay, so it was like it was right after yeah, that. Yeah, right, right after that. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. It, it was right after that. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, I'm trying to think when mine was. Boy, that was so long ago. Once I realized, like, okay, certain certain things would be felonies. This can't be real. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But they had to take it pretty far. <laughs> right. But, yeah. But yeah, once you once your eyes get 
awakened to some of these these ideas in, in government. And I don't know what it takes for some people because some people intuitively know that the government is lying to them and has been. Uh, maybe some people it just hasn't reached that level for them, you know, or they're not old enough to realize it. Right. But like you said, it's just, like, I don't know, like when you find out Santa Claus isn't real or um, great, there's some six-year-old listening to us, I just wrecked Christmas for him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like, like, like wrestling. You know, when you find out that's that's not real, and everyone's just kind of uh, playing their role so that they can get along. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, no, I, I think so. It's just nobody really puts words to it uh, that someone's willing to listen to, because generally the words you put to it, you just get shouted down. After a while, you get tired of getting shouted down, so you just end up sitting there in the wheel and just running around, knowing yeah. that you're part of. Uh, system that you'll never get through. Right. Probably it was for me the the moment when I, I realized it was maybe not. I, I don't know. I I kind of I always kind of uh, existed in that middle part there. Maybe it was maybe it was the Montreal screw job. Maybe it was you know maybe yeah. when when people started kind of leaving you know like Holland Nash came over into WCW and that was great until kind of Hogan joined right because Hogan was already there and then it was such a brilliant move. Like I remember being shocked, but also remember admiring it. Like when. Like when 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 Hogan turned heel and then Hall and Nash were there and all that. Like I remember thinking, well, you know, this was a promise that was kind of underdelivered because they promised that there would be a surprise that was coming from the outside, but Hogan was already on the inside, and so I realized that that was a, a flat out lie they had told. But it was also brilliant. And then I I thought, you know, this is just so brilliant, you know. But then, um, but the true brilliance of it all, honestly, was when McMahon, because McMahon realized that the gig was up. They were never going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle. And so they were going to have to be able to kind of come out and rebrand it, which they did. But I, I think that if you, most Americans, if you have a, a, a majority of people, of Americans, who can come to this realization, they're just going to say no. They're going to say, they're going to say no. They're going to say that, uh, you know what? That's baloney and I am out of here. And, they're, they're, and, and they're, they won't do it. What you're hearing, and they are like, oh, they're, they, they've gotten beyond the successful fakery, and they see it for what it is, which is a failed reality. That is what is happening, is people are, people are checking out of those institutions. When you see a friend of yours, her daughter has started in OnlyFans, and you wonder why, you wonder what has happened, it's because a successful fakery has been revealed as a failed reality, all right? And that might be, again, uh, because of the marriage rate. All this is kind of interconnected. And when you see the State of the Union address and you see the vice president's uh, husband kissing the president's wife, you can know that that, that the outrage and the reaction to that is going to be hammed up 5,000 times. So that And there's a reason for that, and that's because... The institution that is our democracy can't really sustain indefinitely the men that are not that are not marrying. You know, it can't sustain the uh, 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 it can't sustain the destruction of the family. It can't sustain the rampant inflation. It can't sustain the political division. It can't sustain uh, the educational fallout. There's all these things that that can't be sustained. But instead of asking the questions that are difficult and engaging the answers that are difficult answers, instead of that, you get kayfabe. All right, you get the you get the lie, the truth, the lie, the truth, 
the lie, the truth, and you just can't cut through it. I think they did address a lot of this in the video because they talked about the pro wrestling. Remember back at the very beginning, and they talked about you know the uh, the, the catch wrestling. Remember the catch wrestling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the catch wrestling had a problem, right? It was extremely boring, and it was extremely dangerous. <laughs> now, the catch wrestling was, okay, usually the wrestlers would go at each other for one to three hours, all right? So they go, it's a long match. And usually the only way that you could actually secure a legitimate victory was usually to cripple your opponent. Yeah, you had to hurt them. You had to hurt them, right? And it was the only way. Because if you didn't legitimately hurt them, then they weren't going to give up. So these matches would go on for a long time, all right? And then, um, you know, and then so people get really bored. And so the promoters would have, like, for example, a young man, like a young wrestler, and they really liked and yet that young wrestler would come in and would get crippled like very quickly by, at the start of his career. So they were kind of undercutting their best talent. And so anyhow, this is really relevant in terms of politics because remember how they talk about the nuclear bomb and how, okay, so let's say that you have two politicians. You have Jane and John. I don't care what party they're from. It doesn't matter. All right. So you go to Jane. You say, Jane, we need you to not hit the red button and not kill everybody with a nuclear bomb. How, mu- how, how much do you want to do that? What, what's your capability of not blowing people up? And she says, oh, I, I, can, I can be really good at that because I don't want to blow anybody up. Okay. Right. Then you go to John. You say, okay, John, like, uh, how, much of, uh, how, how much do you not want to blow people up? He'll go, I really, really don't want to blow people up. Really? The difference between these two people is not that much. Okay? And you're not asking them to do much. You're basically saying, hey, you know, you got a simple job, all right? The rest of it, boring, right? We live in 2023. You don't need the government in your life, right? I don't need the government in my life, right? Like, I'm fine. We'll all be fine. We got the market. We, we, we're, we're good, right? So we're okay, so we don't need to have all this government interference. I don't need to read about, you know, what what Kamala Harris's husband does, you know, in his spare time or whatever. Like, it, I can live my life without all that junk. So a vast majority of politics is boring. Super, super boring. Get out of my life. Don't take my money and go away. It's boring. However, there's one part that's not boring. And that's the part I need the politicians for. Like, I need you to go and talk to Putin and figure out how not to nuke the world, all right? And then promise you're going to follow through on that. Like, that's all I need you to do. And the difference between a guy that doesn't want to nuke the world and a guy that really doesn't want to nuke the world is not that much, right? So you could just, you know, we could do this in a couple days. You could say, okay, well, we got one guy over here, we got another guy over here, and we're going to have an interview, and okay, nobody wants to nuke them, and we're all going to vote, and then we're done. Right. And most people wouldn't vote because most people would say, well, as long as, you know, you have a general sense, you don't want to nuke the world. And that's fine with me. Yeah. And right. And so then and it would be fine. The litmus test is just like a 10 question, multiple choice sanity test. Right. Right. You know, (laughs) everybody says that we need to vote with our phones you know, because we need more people voting, because the more people that vote, the better off we'll be. And that, again, is a kayfabification. I mean, right. Honestly, you just need a couple people voting and then make sure that people don't want to nuke us. And we need an informed electorate. Yeah. There you go. You know, anything. Yeah. But an even informed electorate. You know, the vast majority of people, if you had a limited government, right, you wouldn't have a vast majority of people wouldn't care what the government did. You shouldn't care what the president does. People say, do you hear what the president does? Don't care. You shouldn't have to. In a free market economy, you wouldn't have to. you wouldn't. But now what happens, just like wrestling, is delivering to a mass audience, okay? You have to deliver an engaging product for a mass audience while removing the unpredictable upheavals 
for the participants. And that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> you wouldn't if you just gave that as an organic description, you would have no idea whether that's WWE or the United States government. <laughs> there, there, there it is. But that's where we're at is there is no distinction anymore. Not functionally. No. Not, no, there's no more distinction, not functionally. Listen, when I no. got up to check the State of the Union address, I clearly saw a wrestling pay-per-view event. I mean, <laughs> you didn't, I well, you didn't expect it. them to be making <laughs> Right, no, no, I mean, clearly, I mean, clearly. And we don't even, oh, no. we don't even, we don't even distinguish anymore. I mean, look at Dwayne Johnson, right? I mean, listen, this is a guy who can, this is a guy who can headline WrestleMania. Uh, I'm not saying he's done this because I don't know, I don't really watch, but he could conceivably... Headline WrestleMania, a star in a uh, multi-million dollar action film, and uh, can um, legitimately represent himself as the corporate head of a uh, minor spring league football league all in the same year. Yep. And, and and that's three different realms. That's the realm of sports, the realm of entertainment, and the realm of sports entertainment. And guess what? People want him to run for president. I heard that. Yeah, and that should <laughs> that shouldn't surprise you. I don't even know what to make of that. Well, I mean, I, he said that he doesn't want to do it, and that's that's a good thing. But you know, it shouldn't surprise you that people want him to run for president because the kayfabeification of that whole realm of that whole process has been so thoroughly ingrained that he might as well run for president. I mean, it, it, there's no distinction there any longer. Do you think that's why Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor of California for a while? Um. Yeah, in terms of of him being uh just his popularity and overall character and the fact that he was, you know, not American like originally, you know. Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, that's interesting. I have to go back to that time. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I wonder yeah, I wonder if uh, in terms of Reagan being a, a Democrat and uh and then being a Republican in California. That's kind of interesting. I don't know. That's a, I just think in California, Hollywood, star power, I don't know. And then the fact, you know, they love diversity, right? Like right. First DEI people out there. Yeah. Um, But you got Jesse the Body Ventura. You're talking about wrestling. Oh, man. He was, yeah, Jesse. And he said it. If you look at the, um, at the beginning of the first video, Jesse's right there, man. Yep. Jesse Ventura. And he says, what I'm saying is politics is... Is pro wrestling. That's what he said right? too. Yeah, that's what he said, and he was governor of Minnesota. Yeah, you know, and this is again the kayfabeification, right? Because back in the day, they would be uh, think it odd that Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan were friends, right? But uh, Jesse Ventura actually was very good friends with Dennis Kucinich. They used to go to these governor conferences, and, and, and I remember the first time that uh, Jesse talked about that. He talked about how um, that he said, "Yeah, Dennis was a great guy, and he really liked him," and uh, the people couldn't believe it. They they were shocked and and they they almost they challenged him on it like oh you're talking about the wrong guy you know and then he had to say no we would go to these governors conferences where they they have all the governors go to the White House and all that and so um, they uh, Jesse was an independent he was the only independent governor that was there and then Kucinich was like so oddball he's so off the cuff he's such a weird guy that uh, he's such a weird dude man that like you know no no one could get where he was coming from. So basically, they were like the two oddballs, and Jesse's like, "Yeah, everyone would get their picture taken because they would say all the le- all the all the the Republican governors get your picture taken here, and all the Democrats get picture taken here." And he said, "Dennis and I used to go get lunch and go to the park. We used to sit on our park bench and talk. You know, we didn't get our picture taken. 
Because <laughs> we don't fit with anybody. No one called their group. Yeah, no one called their group. <laughs> so, you know, if you look at it and, and you look at what the kayfabe is, right, what the kayfabification is of the media and what's presented to people, you'd say there's no way that Jesse Ventura and Dennis Kucinich are going to get along. There's no way that those two people are going to, you know, have a friendship. But yet, there's Jesse going, yeah, absolutely, I love the guy. Great guy, you know. Watch the debates the next time those come around. There you go. And then just keep that in your head for when that person picks their running mate, whoever wins. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly (laughs) correct. Remember what they said about them? (laughs) Yep, that is exactly right. You know, remember during the debates, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they went after each other. Oh, my goodness. You know, and now they're, you know, two peas in a pod, right? Yeah. So, and you'll see how these things happen to present something that draws people's ire, right? And people used to argue about the dates, you know? Like, I remember after those debates, people would argue about the dates of, oh, who was alive during what date? And how many buses did they have? And how many whites? And how many blacks? Like, oh, like, She accused no. Joe Biden of being racist. Yeah, I know, and I know. But I, <laughs> the thing is, is, like, people get lost in, like, how many buses are on what street and what state. Like, all this matters. Like, it matters. Know? Right. Like it's a kayfabe vacation of things. Right. So, for example, if you're talking, we have very simple narratives that are made into very complex narratives. Right. And they're made complex to be an aid to kayfabification. So, for example, let's take something war, something you're familiar with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, slightly, I'd say. Slightly. So <laughs> you uh, you know all about war. You probably know more about war than most people have forgotten about. Oh, man. Yeah. So you're probably a foreign policy hawk, huh? <laughs> No, <laughs> no, because the thing is, uh, I spent enough time over there that uh, I realized how. Wait, so you don't? Whoa, 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 whoa! Stop, 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 stop! So you don't have to go to Harvard and go to the Fort Boston School of because uh, you, you to figure out like about war. What? <laughs> no. Okay. K- K- I I could hold any one of those positions. Any one of them. Kayfabe. As a matter of fact, what are we doing? Send us. We sent. Dennis Rodman. Well, actually, I think, I don't know. He probably bought his own plane ticket. North Korea? Was he our North Korean ambassador? Oh, that's right. Yeah, when Rodman went to North Korea. So you don't even have to be, I don't know what normal is, I guess. That's right, man. Normal to. Man, you got to love Rodman, man. You're like, when the most crazy thing you've ever done in your life is like winning the tag team titles or like hanging out with Kim Jong un. <laughs> yeah, that, that dude's living his best life right if there. If you think you've done it all, uh, man. look at Dennis Rodman. You have had a boring life. Man, some, somewhere, 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 Dennis Rodman's sitting in the bed somewhere, staring at the ceiling, going, man, you know, what am I doing next? Right? What's he going to do next? Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like yeah. to see someone make that up. Man, unbelievable! I'll tell you, he didn't have to try to be anything interesting when he was in wrestling. <laughs> no, no, he sure didn't. Like be yourself, dude. <laughs> no, but he actually looked more normal in wrestling. That was the, that was the great thing about Dennis was um, when he was wrestling, he was actually more scared than he was on the basketball court. So when he was, uh, so you know, he would always he never looked like he always looked like he was trying too hard when he was in the non wrestling events, and then when he was in the wrestling events, he was always he was always kind of scared, and that's okay. But he always looked more serious. Like I always thought, if you want to see Dennis Rodman as a non-serious person, then you talk, to, and then you get Dennis when he's on the basketball court, or he's yep. talking about basketball, or he's talking about something that you are, or he's talking about, you know, banging a thousand women or whatever. So whatever Dennis Rodman does in the course of a day. But then the um, but then uh, the uh, if you want to see him as a real human being, right? Then watch him in a wrestling ring because he was so scared. He looked like a real dude. He's an awkward, shy guy. 
Yeah. You know what yeah. he did? He looked like an awkward, shy guy. And so, like, I actually thought when I would watch Dennis Robin wrestle, I thought I could connect with him as a real person who had hopes, dreams, and fears. Although on a basketball court, that seemed to be like more of a kayfabe. Or so, a... I mean, you asked me about a lot of books and if I've read them. And, uh, yeah, sure. I actually have read Dennis Rodman's. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, his oh, so biography. You're about, to, you're about to correct me here. It was 999. I'm sorry. Let's <laughs> go. <laughs> Um, no, because then you have to add up the guys and the girls, but no. Oh, okay, um, all right, all right. <laughs> his, all right. His biography. Uh, okay, there you bad, go. Bad as I want to be. I've actually I've actually read that, and it gives you a lot of insight as oh. to who that guy is. Oh, wow, man. Yep. <laughs> no, uh, you brought go. it up, so that's your fault. There, there it is, there We're it is. We're in digital. Right. I can say whatever I want. That's right. I was going to say, yeah, so <laughs> if you ever if you ever know, music, friends, fun, and fandom, you ever want to know what that means, there it is. If that messed you up, go over to notes. It's a little more serious. <laughs> just, there you go, right? <laughs> So, uh, you know, we have war and foreign policy. Well, how about finances, right? How about finances? So um, so we talked about inflation, right? Inflation, trying to explain how inflation benefits one group and then doesn't benefit another group and how inflation can be somewhat managed and guided to create, I would say, like a kayfabification of the financial world. So the financial world, you could say, okay, we have the stock market. Here's how the stock market works. Well, actually, no, because you have to take inflation into account with the stock market. And then you need to uh, be able to extract that across multiple uh, across multiple income groups, multiple demographic groups. And then you need to be able to forecast into the future to see what those interdependent groups are going to do in terms of other silos in our culture. So you can't figure out what to do, right? No. Everything's so, so complicated and convoluted, right? You know, I mean, and it almost forces that. you into picking one thing and just doing one thing, which so, is exactly what the they want you to do. Yeah. So to work your way through that inflation is to work your way through a series of lies, truth, lies, truth, lies, truth. Yeah. Just like foreign policy is lies, truth, lies, truth, lies, truth. Right. So we start with all right. So we'll start with one, say an objective concept, love, right. So, right, love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. Yeah, bread and butter, baby. <laughs> so but what we have now in terms of our modern culture is serial polygamy. Right? So we have, uh, we have serial polygamy and also serial monogamy. Uh, we'll probably have serial monogamy right now, but then we'll have serial polygamy in a couple. Oh, that's coming. But <laughs> So we're going to have, we have serial monogamy now, where effectively is we have people that are able to enter into these serial monogamous relationships, which they enter and then leave. And they enter and leave, and then there are children involved, and there are also many other things involved. And in order to unravel serial polygamy, is to engage a truth and a lie and a truth and a lie and a truth and a lie. Okay? So so foreign policy has so many truths and lies that you that it's a kayfabification of war. All right? So inflation has so many truths and lies that it's a kayfabification of the financial world. Serial polygamy is full of so many truths and lies that it's a kayfabification of love. Okay, right? Let's look at politics. And the lie, truth, lie, truth, lie, truth that you find in partisanship, right, between left and right. You try to figure out the objective truths in the narratives of the far left and the far right. There are so many truths and lies that you can't make sense of it all. You can't make sense of politics. And so, therefore, as a people who are overly distracted in a dangerous world, 
we can't see the forest through the trees because of the KFIT. We call it foreign policy. We call it inflation. We call it serial monogamy. We call it partisanship. But at the end of the day, it is all a, it is all kayfabe. All right. It is all people on the inside who know the truth. They know that GDP goes up every year. They know they know that at every year at the State of the Union address, the president's going to get up in front of Congress and he's going to say, GDP went up this year and everybody is so happy and everyone's going to clap. Who's going to get up there and be like, so my administration so far has screwed this whole thing up? Right. <laughs> no one. Right. No, it's really going to take someone to stand up in the State of the Union and say, ladies and gentlemen, Everyone, like, uh, so I'm really, I'm not talking to anybody. I'm talking to people who are between the ages of 18 and 25. And so what I'm saying is, is that look around at your life. And what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to, in terms of your living standard, what you see around you right now is as good as it will get for you. And there's a chance that it will get worse. What we need you to do is we need you to internalize that expectation that things are going to get worse. And we need you to defer all the rewards of effort into the next generation because your children are going to need their own effort plus your effort in order to in order to to get by. Oh come on! I'm and, positive the next right. president will say these. Things. They will say these things. He's going to say so. <laughs> he's going to say so. What we need is we need to have an entire generation of people, okay, who are going to work and who are going to exert. An above-average amount of effort. And expect nothing. Yeah, exactly. And we're probably going to have to be multi-generational, okay? It's probably going to have to be... You're probably going to have to work in terms of the realms of education, and you're probably going to have to defer all of those rewards into the future generation. None of it for you. All of it for your kids. And then your kids are going to have to take all of that reward, and they're going to have to transfer it into the realm of the industry. And then... Uh, or in terms of uh, scientific investment, right? Or, or whatever. And then they're going to have to defer that into the next generation. And then... Eventually, when we get through, I don't know, a couple generations, maybe give or take, right? So maybe it'll be like a couple, one, two, three, four, five, who knows? <laughs> Once you get there, then those people will have what it takes to be able to get back to the brass tacks of, you know, making a world without war, you know, making sure that all, uh, you know, all countries are on a track to first world industrialization, uh, local industrialization, that we have strong families, uh, that we have uh, limited and effective politics, which reinforces, you know, uh, which reinforces you know, strong currency and, and, and peace and love. And, uh, you know, we have continual scientific discovery that forecasts nothing but unlimited, unrevocable stratospheric growth as far as the eye can see. It's that, you know what? It's yeah. way more sexy to just say either mission accomplished or no new taxes. <laughs> Build back better. Build back better, right? There you go. That's right. Yeah, so it's much easier, right? Or you can come in and you, that's right, exactly, no doubt. You can come in and you can say, build back better, and you can fill uh, a thousand newspapers all with a thousand catchphrases about foreign policy and inflation and about the battle of the sexes between men and women and, you know, what you need to do to get your guy friend to stick around for, you know, if you have six OnlyFans accounts instead of five, then you can get your guy to stick around for two or two days longer than, uh, you know, it was last year, you know, or, yeah, you know, you do all these things. Since we're going to kayfabe this whole political thing anyway. I just have a recommendation for the president's State of the Union next time. Just change up the entrance music. It's getting boring. It's the same one every time. <laughs> what, Hail to the Chief? Yeah. Just change <laughs> it. You know what he needs to do? We need to get rid of Hail to the Chief, and he needs to come out to like the DX theme. 
that's really weird because I literally like that was the first one that came to my mind. I mean, can you imagine mom, that man? You know, that up. like all the senators are sitting there, and then like all the lights go down, right? And then like you know, and so like, and then all the senators will show up like in like uh, green and black. And then, like, uh, you know, it's like uh, all the Republicans will wear, like, a green tie. And then, like, all the all the, 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 the Democratic, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the female senators can wear, like, uh, green emerald necklaces. And then, like, the lights will go down. And <laughs> <laughs> would, would not. Oh, you know, honestly, like, it'd be about, like, I this can't whole handle kiss. It, man. It'd be like this kiss thing. In two days, I'm not going to remember this. Whatever. Well, no doubt. And then, yeah, this is exactly right. In two days... In two days, you and I are going to be podcasting, and you know we're going to be uh, we're going to be podcasting about something else. And you're not going to remember that the vice president's husband was you know was was kissing was loving on the president's wife. No, but you're what, not going to remember. But what we you know, did. That, that's right. But what you can do, see, you remember, you could put up a picture of Kamala, and she could be there, like you know, kneel down on her knees, and there's like Joe Biden with the big X over his head, and you know, and all that, and they could be doing the the whole thing. And then you could put that in the paper, and they probably forget about that too in two days. Oh yeah, yeah. And and what we just did with that, they did, I should say, is added another layer, without people realizing it, at all. At all. Just at all. Goes over everybody's head. Yep. At all because there's other layers. There's more layers. And what people need to do is people need to learn to slow down they need to slow it down and i do this with people now too you know you can do this and filter your arguments right with people if you're going to talk to people and you put up your hands slow down right get off the narrative train for yeah just a exactly second. you gotta say okay <laughs> you're on the narrative train slow it down and then ask the hard questions and be willing to admit that you don't know and that well that's the answers awesome. well no and that the answers <laughs> yeah right no doubt and that the answers are hard and that you're going to have to work through one step at a time, okay, and that you're going to have to do this. And so that's what you do. And so you're going to have to slow it down. That's step number one is slow it down and then ask the hard questions and then move it forward one step at a time. Don't engage the narrative. We have to learn how to do that. And then what you can do is you can learn to approach issues with a Christian mind, okay, with a Christian presupposition, okay, because uh, we can look back uh, upon spiritual matters and we can have uh, objective presuppositions like uh, a Christian mind and we can use that to bring these uh, bring these issues out into the light where uh, we can uh, look at them within the realm of biblical truth and what the Bible has to say about it. And so that's something that you can do by listening to our podcast, The Blunderground Railroad, where we go through a lot of series of books. We talk about Christian presupposition, uh, and we talk about culture quite a bit. Uh, and so that's what you can do. You can listen to that podcast, and you can hear us talk about that. Uh, but um, uh, And so that's kind of uh, where we are, and that's what we want to see. But one thing, and I, I'm not sure if Eric Weinstein would be uh, on board with that or not, but uh, I'm not sure if we march and step there or if we don't. But one thing I can say is that one area where we do march in step, okay, is we all care about our kids. I, I think he has a son. I believe that he is, a, a, I think his son is well, probably similar ages to my son. I don't know. Maybe he's older or younger. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, uh, but he does have a child, I believe. And uh, so that one thing we do share is he loves his kids and he looks around him. And he sees the cultural decline, the institutional decline, and he sees the culture, and he knows that he knows that if we had real growth, that a lot of these issues wouldn't be as large as they are, and that we would be able to work it out. And uh, but he knows, uh, but I think one thing that we do share 
is that if we don't have growth, then we have violence. Oh yeah. 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 You know, That's and I yeah. Natural. And that if you that if you have growth, then everybody can have more. And that when everybody can have more, when everybody can achieve more, people are going to find common ground. They're going to find things that they agree about, and they are going to embrace their humanity so that not only can they have more, but those that they love can have more, and that their love can grow. Uh, and uh, But he also knows, like you know and like I know, that when there's no growth, that everyone else is eyeing everyone else's share of the pie. You know, the interesting thing is nothing can grow forever except in the spiritual realm, which is why we have to get back to Christianity. Amen. In this country. Amen. Amen. You got it. Amen. Wow, that's a profound statement there. So it is true. So uh, if you, uh, this is stuff that's worth looking into. All right. Uh, so uh, it is worth looking into if uh, uh, whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, uh, there is a real possibility that we could run into violence in this country and uh, and that we are in uh, a as, as Tim Poole likes to say, a soft civil war uh, or to quote uh, Eric Weinstein himself. Uh, he's this is a quote from him. He says, waiting for this to be called a civil war is not smart. And so we need to get on the path of fixing the problems. And this area of exploring uh, the N-squared revolution, uh, looking into embedded growth obligations, gated institutional narratives, distributed idea compression complexes, and the K-thabification that we see all around us as a mass audience, it's well worth your time. All right, my name is Tom, and I'm with my wingman, Steve. We're checking out. We'll see you next time on Digital Blunderground. Thanks for joining us on the Digital Blunderground. Don't forget to check out Tom and Steve's flagship podcast, Notes from Blunderground, and their journey from ignorance to knowledge, the Blunderground Railroad. See you next time.